Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett from motomatters.com. With me is Neil Morrison from Crash.net and Road Racing World. And Tony Goldsmith from Asphalt and Rubber and Bike Sport News. Right, well, we're here to talk about the latest uh, round of MotoGP, and uh, it turned out to be quite a complicated and very, very interesting one. Uh, I think if anyone had money on Scott Redding being on the podium or Loris Bass coming fourth, they'd be uh, retiring to uh, Monaco about now. So, uh, I mean, well, what happened? Um, well, I guess the Mother Nature played a, a pivotal role in the race um, and basically threw the, the form book out the window. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the result had to do with um, the top two guys, Jorge and Valentino, fighting for the championship, being all too aware of the implications of making a mistake and doing something wrong. And other guys like Scott Redding, like Bradley Smith, like Loris Baez, having nothing to lose and chancing their arm. And in this situation, it paid off brilliantly for them yeah absolutely i mean just talking through the race first of all it was uh uh i mean in the morning people were tweeting me saying have you seen the weather forecast it's going to rain and i'm going that'd be stupid it's not going to rain it can't rain it's been gorgeous it's been fantastic weather all weekend uh and then i went down into pit lane about half past one about half an hour before the race happened and it was starting to spit with rain uh, I mean, what, what about you, Tony? I mean, you must have been out there. What up as one? You, you're going down there with your with your camera already. Yeah, I left uh, earlier than normal due to the uh, amount of fans in the in the paddock wandering around. So I left and about quarter past one, and took a walk out, and it just started uh, raining at that point. Very light, only it was only spitting. Um, and it didn't really look. I, I turned to one of my friends. I was walking out, and I said, "Ah, oh, this, this is not going to come to anything. Uh, very little." But turned out I was wrong, and <laughs> it it did end up playing a major a major role in in the outcome of the race. Which I must admit, I I'm looking forward to sitting listening to you guys for a moment to find out actually what happened because from the side of the track, I didn't have a clue. Yeah, I mean, it must have been out there with you with a whole bunch of fans wondering what the hell was going on. Well, well, um. Until I got in front of a big screen, I thought Rossi was still leading the race. Uh, and then I discovered he was in fifth place. And Marquez was, was leading. And then Bradley Smith, Scott Redding and Loris Bazza. I was like, what is going on? I had no clue. So I would imagine as a, as a spectacle on the television, it was fantastic. But for, the, for those of us at the track, it was very confusing unless you happen to be in front of a big screen. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Well, I mean, basically, the start of the race was dry and we had a fantastic start i mean it really looked like we were going to have a great uh, a great race with uh, uh, jorge getting away at the first but um uh, never really being able to to to, to make a break uh, marquez behind him rossi uh, rossi chasing him it looked like it was going to be the three-way battle that we were all hoping for and then uh, and then it started raining but even at, even from the start, there were spits of rain falling. Uh, you could see on the, the, the television cameras when there was onboard shots, you could see it on the, the rider screens. Although the, the lap times were very fast at the beginning of the race, you felt that the riders al always had that in their mind. And I don't think even from the first, maybe after lap two or three, you really got a clear indication of what it would have been like if it had been dry. Um, I think after the race, Marquez said that he kind of he was quite uh, quite open, admitted that if it had been dry, Jorge would have would have won quite comfortably. Rossi wouldn't have been close to those front two. Um, so I think yeah, even from the beginning, the rain was playing quite a quite a big part in how the riders were approaching it. 
Yeah, exactly. As soon as it did start to rain, then it was uh, uh, then it was sort of game on. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of people came in sort of fairly early the first time five, uh, after lap five or six. Um, the front three were all looking at each other, going basically the first one to go, uh, the first person to come in is the person who uh, is the person that the rest followed. They basically all followed Lorenzo in. Once it started to settle down, when the when the rain came down heavily, we were looking at that point that like we were going to have a really good race in our hand. Rossi reeled them in, and um, they managed to get ahead of them all. And looked at that point that he was going to go on and win the race uh, when it was raining. But then it started drying up again, and then from a, from the side of the track, it really broke out. And I didn't really, like I said, I didn't have a clue what was going on and who was where and. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were having to follow it from the uh, uh, on the timing screens. Uh, on the, the timing screens were the only thing that were actually telling you any uh, anything useful as to who was going fast, who was going slow. But you had to remember to look away from the TV screen and uh, uh, and actually look at the look at the the timing screen. Uh, the first, I think, the first change was not so not not particularly eventful because uh, uh, they sort of came out more or less in the order that uh, that you expected. Except Rossi lost, I think, about four seconds on Marquez and Lorenzo. And then had to basically recover that, and, and did so brilliantly. Oh yeah, exactly. It, it was it was clearly it was it was clear that Rossi was really strong in the rain. He seemed to have the best setup. Seemed to have the best uh, um, sort of control of the grip. He seemed to understand the grip were uh, grip best. But um, uh, just as it started, well, just as they were you know all out there on wet tires, it started the 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 rain sort of stopped again and threw the race another curveball, which was. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah, which is the dry and tarmac, which um, I guess because we're, we're so close to the sea here, there's a, a wind that's always coming around. Uh, tarmac was quick to dry. It was only a short shower, relatively, um, that kind of affected the track. And then it became a, another total lottery uh, and really threw the, the results and the top 10 upside down. Um, and really um, could be looking back at, at, at a moment that eventually decided the championship between the two movie star Yamahas. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It was, it, it, I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but uh, th- th- this turned into absolutely one of the most desires, absolute turning point in the, in the championship, uh, uh, to my mind. And also a... Uh, the, the the first changeover or the second changeover I've turned out to be pivotal for, for for the race because basically if you came in early anyone came in early did well. Uh, Loris Baz came in and uh, uh, I think he was the first rider to come he was in. The second, I think Cordy was the oh, first yeah. man on lap twelve and then Baz followed in a late, late, uh, lap later. And uh, yeah, and like look how well that paid off for for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really looked like he was uh, he was on for a podium because he was dro- yeah, I think they were, he dropped basically he was lapping ten seconds a lap faster than than anyone else. Yeah. Uh, and that in the end, because a, pa- a, a pit stop at Misano is about thirty five between thirty and forty seconds, depending on your run of luck. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, ten seconds. When you're when you're gaining ten seconds a lap on guys on uh, on wet tires, then if they stay out for three or four laps, then uh, then that's a huge. Uh, you, you've basically you know beaten their pit stop, and they can never catch you again. Yeah, we were watching the intermediates in the timing screen, and I think maybe on Baz's maybe first or second, maybe it was a second or first flying lap out, out of the pits with dry rubber for the, after a second pit stop. Uh, we were looking at some of his pits and, or some of his sector times. He was already matching the leaders uh, in those in those sectors. And you thought, right, okay, if that's well, he's still getting his tires up to speed and he's still kind of getting used to the conditions and he's already 
at that level, then he's only going to get quicker. And then sure enough, you know, he was, uh, as you said, taking 10, sometimes 12 seconds out of the leaders. It became apparent that that was, that was what they needed to do, change rubber again. And uh, yeah, some did it quicker than others. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, uh, the uh, uh, when I mean Marcus to an extent did well because uh, he was doing the worst on wet tires. Uh, he was doing poorly on wet tires, and uh, as a consequence, he was losing touch with uh, with Rossi and Lorenzo, who were getting away, and so he had nothing left to lose. And came in and changed uh, relatively early, still still quite late, but uh, yeah, came in, changed early, and that basically gave him the race. To the best of your knowledge, have we seen a two-stop MotoGP I, uh, not strategy as, before? Not as far as I can remember. Not a successful one. Not a, not a, not a successful one. We've seen riders change tyres twice, oh, yeah. right? You know, but uh, never to to, to go. Not the whole. Not no, the whole no, no, field. Not, not the whole field. Not it actually be a. Uh, uh, not it actually be a, uh, a, a successful successful flag to flag race. But uh, yeah, I mean, Marcus came off best in the end. It, uh, not changing tyres turned out to be a successful strategy as well. I mean, I was watching the uh, I was watching the timing screens at so, at some point trying to figure out what what the what the best strategy was, and all of a sudden I saw Bradley Smith doing, I think a thirty nine or something, ten seconds faster than everyone else, thirty nine or a thirty eight, one one thirty eight, and I thought I thought it was just a mistake. I thought it, th- there must be a mistake. No one's that fast, mm-hmm. uh, but it turned out that Bradley just hadn't been in uh, been into swap tyres at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think from what Cal told us yesterday was on his way into pit lane to swap tires and then at the last minute pulled out and decided not to do it. And, uh, you know, at that moment, Cal thought, what are you doing? You're an idiot. You've you've ruined your race, you know, but from there, Bradley really rode uh, an inspired race, it has to be said. Yeah, yeah. He committed to it. He just totally committed to it and was uh, uh, and, and was duly rewarded. Yeah, I think um, whenever it was raining heavily, he you know, it was lapping two minute thirteens. I think one lap was two minute two, eighteen. Two eighteen. Yeah, which is something like forty two or forty three seconds off, you know, the fastest lap of the race. And um yeah, I don't know, to have the the strength of conviction to, yeah. to follow through with that. Um not only to make that decision in the first place, but then to think like, okay, I'm gonna keep going with this, I'm gonna keep going with it. And then he could see that the conditions were suddenly getting better. Um, you know, I think that's only a rider that is having such a great season like Bradley, with the confidence that he has right now. A rider would be would be prepared to do that. Yeah, exactly. And also, I think as both Rossi and Lorenzo afterwards said, you know, they've got nothing to lose. Um, uh, Marquez has got nothing to lose. He just wants to win races. Bradley Smith has got nothing. Had nothing to lose. Uh, he's. I mean, it, it, his position would be nice in the championship, but you know, DNF would have wouldn't have made that much difference to him. Um, uh, certainly, Scott Redding had uh, uh, had nothing to lose. Loris Baz has abs- uh, really needed uh, a good result and, and totally got a totally deserved uh, uh, fourth. So yeah, they all had nothing to lose, and the rest were all yeah. And just you know, going back to Bradley, um, he said in the press conference or speaking after the press conference that um, basically lap by lap he was going around and just getting the feel for you know what his tires were able to do, the grip they were able to pick up as the track dried, and like you know to, to kind of guys like you and I that it's just impossible to even conceive that you could start taking chunks out of your lap time you know five seconds here five seconds again quick the following lap I mean it really is skill of the highest level to be able to do that on dry tires on a damp wet track exactly know? because he was also he also said he was staying away from the rubber the, the 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 key was staying away from the rubber because it was the rubber that was getting really really greasy but as he said afterwards you know you uh 
you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think you know he was down twenty first. Um, whenever uh, the majority of the field had pitted, um, so yeah, to to climb from twenty first to second, um, in some ways the ride of the day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, especially as he's still using carbon brakes, and carbon brakes, uh, uh, carbon brakes to work needs some kind of it needs temperature to actually grip and so you know you can squeeze your uh, squeeze the brake lever as much as you like there's not an awful lot going to happen uh yeah you, you're not doing much slowing down at all whereas the others with all the steel brakes they actually they actually had still uh, still still had some brakes we're talking about inspired decisions such as bradley's and um uh, we also seen a, a a large slice of luck with with scott um uh, at the time at which he crashed, and I didn't even know he crashed. I came into you at the time, at the end of the at the race, and commented to you of, that didn't realise that Scott had crashed, and blimey, he could have won the race. And you pointed out, well, well, perhaps there was some good fortune in the timing that he crashed. He came in maybe earlier than perhaps he yeah. would have done, and that turned out to be a, a, a large slice of fortune for him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he came in, uh, he came in out of force. He, he was trying to push on. He, he knew the conditions were difficult, he tried to take advantage of the conditions, pushed on, made a mistake and crashed. But even though he was, he, he was crashing, he said afterwards, was uh, making sure it wasn't damaged. You know, getting his body underneath the bike to make sure he doesn't break the handlebars, doesn't break any of the foot pegs, so he can get back into into pit lane and go out on his, on his, on his wet bike. And he actually, I think he swapped bikes piece on lap six, Lap seven, right? Which you know, six and seven were the two laps to be ideal laps to be going out on the uh, on the wet bike. He got that right, and then again, uh, in fact, a little bit like Mark Marcus as well. He went out. He didn't have. A, he hated the feeling of the wet tires. Didn't like it at all, and so thought, "What's well, it? I'll come in and uh, get back out on the on on the dry tires." And that turned out to be the right choice as well. Yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that you know Scott had a, a good pace. You know, in spite of the conditions, like uh, I think he was battling for fourth with Petrucci before he crashed, and uh, with a couple of other guys. Yeah. He was fairly well placed up at the the sharp end of the top ten, and looking back at the the lap times from the start of the race, I think his fastest lap of the race was you know the seventh. He was the seventh fastest rider in that race, you know, and he was more or less lapped the same time as as Davizioso. Was it maybe a, just a tenth or two off uh, Valentino Rossi's uh, fastest lap time? So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just a kind of potluck result for Red. And I think you know he had a fairly decent weekend. Per, per qualifying, you know, still something that he's struggling with, but you know, showed some decent pace, built on his Silverstone result, and got a you know a result that um, you know that showed his showed his, his potential. Yeah, I mean, Scott has had a good weekend all uh, all weekend. He's been quick all weekend, uh, uh, relatively, except you know having a poor qualifying, which is understandable given that there were what four Ducatis and one Suzuki out there with uh, with a soft tire ahead of him. That makes it that makes it a little bit more more difficult for him, but uh, uh, apparently he's been getting more and more smooth. The way to ride a MotoGP bike fast is not to hustle it, but to try and be as smooth as possible. And he has really been trying to do that. He's been working on his smoothness, and, it, and it's starting to pay off. There are certainly parts of the track where, um, even just watching from the television, you could see he just looked a little bit more at home on the bike. Um, you know he was aggressive but he also looked quite fast quite smooth yeah um and you know there, there was times this year where you, you certainly wouldn't say that you know it kind of just looked like it was being forced wasn't coming naturally to him you know you're thinking of maybe Brno or indianapolis for example yeah. and um you know the, the, those were per results from but uh but yeah i think there's been a, a definite improvement um sax ring then from silverstone he's carried that through so yeah great to see him up in the podium yeah the first 
first British uh, slash Northern Irish Irish podium since 1979 with two sorry the first podium with two British or Northern Irish riders on that podium since 1979. Another great day for British motorcycle fans which we seem to be saying quite a lot at the moment. It, it, exactly it, it, especially considering uh, uh, which made up a lot for, for Motor 3 and Motor 2 where Danny Kent had a bit of a shocker of a race and ended up uh, uh, what was it sixth a long way behind the, behind the leaders and Sam Lowe's got unlucky with uh, uh, with his bodywork, which which came off and uh, wrecked his tire and put an end to his race. Is that what that was? It was right. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad. See, see, I'm learning things now as well. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, the race certainly had some uh, well extreme implications for the, uh, for the for the championship, but they could have been a lot more uh, uh, severe. Had uh, Valent- either Valentino Rossi or Jorge Lorenzo decided to pit differently yeah I kind of felt coming into this round that this was going to be in some ways a pivotal race uh, the, the the kind of races before Silverstone Bernal Indianapolis kind of historically have favoured Lorenzo whereas this was a track that really should favour both Yamaha riders Rossi won here last year Lorenzo's always had a, a good record I think he's always been either first or second in MotoGP um, won three years in the bounce before finishing second last year so you know, you kind of felt that this was, if there was going to be one place where they were going to have a, a scrap, it was it was going to be here. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was either, uh, uh, if Rossi if Rossi won, I mean, Rossi had to win here, and he had to um, do so convincingly. If he doesn't win convincingly here, then it gives, then the, the, the advantage goes to, uh, shifts a little bit to to, to Lorenzo, because Lorenzo is going to be sort of stronger down the, down the line. But, that's if it had been a normal race and it was anything but a, a normal race. Yeah, and that just kind of shows the kind of strange nature of this championship that in the last two races in Silverstone and in Mazzano, Lorenzo has been definitely faster in free practice and qualifying than Rossi. And you're looking at the race thinking he's definitely going to he's definitely going to be Rossi, probably win the race. And, uh, you know, kind of uh, external factors have, have contributed to him now being 23 points behind yeah, exactly. I, I think if you if you'd have told him that he'd be twenty three points up uh, at the end of uh, at the end of this race, he would have absolutely taken it. And yet he was still, yeah, I mean, genuinely disappointed. Valentino was genuinely disappointed uh, after the race because he really had come here to to try and win or at least be on the podium. Well, I asked you the question uh, after the race, after you'd come back from the the debriefs, what the what the feeling was within the. With the, with the Yamaha riders, obviously Lorenzo was going to be distraught. But um, I, I asked you how, uh, what was the feeling from Valentino? Did he seem disappointed that there was a huge opportunity missed? Uh, had he gone in, in and changed back to his dry setup uh, two or three laps earlier, then he could have been sitting there with a twenty-five point victory. And a, and a huge lead over, over Lorenzo. Yeah, exactly. It could have been thirty-seven instead of twenty-three, and that would have been, it would have made a big difference. But uh, it was uh, uh, there was a lot of confusion in the field about um, who was going, about when to come in. It was difficult because the the asphalt was new. It was really difficult to see where there was a dry line uh, forming. But again, some riders seemed, just seemed to cope with that better better than others. Um, then there was the pit signals, which uh, everyone was just making up as they uh, as they went along. Yeah, a few riders said that they, you know, openly said that they uh, they misinterpreted their pit signals. I think Davizioso said that he saw box on his uh, on his board, but box was written uh, under another rider's name, um, and he assumed that his his pit were, or his crew were trying to tell him that that rider was in the box rather than 
he should come into the box. And I guess this is just something that you come to expect when it's a new situation. You know, we haven't had a, a two-stop um, flag-to-flag race before. Yeah, but um, David, in fairness, David Chester did also say that uh, he had actually, because all of the teams sat down and discussed the whole thing beforehand. They drew up a strategy, they drew up a plan. Mm. Um, uh, David Chester said he knew that it would be box and then the name of the rider be, uh, of, uh, I think, following him uh, the, um, on his pit board. But it was just such a confused... He, he just got confused by the race. Yeah. Um, but having... Uh, well, there was box, I think Lorenzo said in, someone else's said dry. Uh, they, it, it was just very, very confusing. I mean, you don't, you don't see that in Formula One because Formula One are used to pit stops. Um, and MotoGP, thankfully, are not used to pit stops, uh, and so it, you know, it, it it really throws a bit of bit of confusion. Yeah, I think it's worth saying also that you know it's quite easy to sit here now and say like, oh, you should have come into the pits whenever you saw Baz doing his thing, you know. But when you're when you're out there on track, using Rossi and Lorenzo as examples here, when you're out there on track and you've got a, a whole championship, a whole year resting on you know what you're doing, um, you know, and the implications are so huge. Uh, for the year ahead, um, I think it's quite. You can understand why they did what they did. You know, they were they were just waiting to see what the other one did. And I don't know. You know, if I was in that situation, I probably would have done the same. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Lorenzo was particularly interesting because he said basically um, uh, he was thinking about coming in, but if he came in for slicks and it started raining again, then it would have been really, really. It would have been really, really dangerous. It really would have been, you know, tricky. That could have been. Uh, well, it could have been a DNF and zero points. As it turned out, that's exactly what happened. Uh, what, what were the riders' thoughts on condi- on racing in conditions like this with flag to flag racing? Was there anything brought up in any of the debriefs about what could be done in the future? Well, I mean, obviously, Lorenzo hates it. Um, uh, he really hates it, especially the. Uh, uh, he's fine in the rain and he's fine in the dry. It's the. It's actually. It, it's sort of the half wet, half dry when you're out on slicks. Uh, he said, you know, basically hates it. He, th- he thinks we should do what they do in Moto 2 and Moto 3, which is, you know, red flag it and start a new race. Um, but the. Uh, yeah, the, th- the thing is. That doesn't work for TV and TV. Uh, as all we journalists know, TV rules. We turn up to talk to a rider, and if there's a TV camera there, then then it's tough. We get to hang around and wait until they're uh, uh, until they're done. Yeah, TV TV is the bread and butter of this of this championship and pays the bills. Um, it's also, I guess, worth saying that uh, next year Mitchell and are going to be bringing intermediate tires um, to you know to to meetings, and yeah, I guess intermediates would be. Would definitely have been more appropriate than, than slick tires uh, in the middle of that race. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it might even been worth uh, taking a gamble and uh, and starting on intermediates. Mm. Um, perhaps not finishing the race on intermediates, but yeah, obviously another another tire option in the mix, which would work better in in the mixed conditions, would definitely definitely be a lot more interesting. Yeah, um, but Lorenzo yesterday was saying that basically he made uh, two mistakes. Oh, obviously, the first was not coming into the pits uh, whenever his uh, his crew told him to, and then the second was getting, in his words, impatient with uh, with the kind of the, the temperature of the the rear tire. Uh, Scott Redding came past him when he came out of the pits, I think, and obviously was going a lot faster. He had pitted a few laps earlier. Yeah, four or five laps earlier. Yeah, his tires were up and running up the temperature. Scott was riding really well, and uh, Jorge thought 
I need to go with him. And then that first left-hander after the, the succession of rights, he pitched in and there was the, the, yeah, the rear tire just didn't grip. No, there's just no heat in the rear and and, and down he went. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a, a, a costly a costly mistake. So you, you gentlemen earlier alluded to the fact that it was a, well, I, I also said it myself, you know, a, a potential turning point. Is that is that going to be the moment that we look back at the end of the year at Valencia and say that was the moment that, that you know, decisively swung in Rossi's favour? Uh, possibly, possibly here, possibly Silverstone, because uh, what did we have at Silverstone? We had, uh, you know, equipment mistakes, uh, helmets fogging up, visors fogging up. You just not really acceptable at this level, which again was a, an error. On I, I asked um, uh, Lorenzo about it on Thursday or Friday, I think Friday, and he said he didn't fit the the the, the nose guard, the breath guard to stop the breath uh, breath getting on his. Um, uh, getting on his on his visor uh, and for some reason he didn't really explain why he didn't fit it he just didn't want to fit it and you know he suffered the consequences so I think not so much I mean this is going to be important but I think this together with Silverstone is a really really big deal so are you saying that Valentino's name is on the trophy this year I think they might have got a pencil out and started to think about how they're going to put his name on the trophy. But I don't think, I absolutely do not think this tro- this title is done. I don't think this is going to be done before Valencia. Yeah, and it seems to be, you know, it's one of those championships where, you know, each different round is throwing up something interesting, something new. I'm still, you know, a believer in the thought that you can't go 18 races without, you know, having something go wrong to you. You know, Jorge has had, you know, the helmet issue in Qatar, his leathers didn't fit properly. He, had, he got sick in Austin. He had the helmet issue again in uh, in Silverstone. He crashed out yesterday. You know, he, you know, okay, Rossi's had one or two races where he, the setup hasn't been to his liking. I still think, you know, bad fortune has to befall him at, at one race in the future. And um, and as, as Lorenzo said yesterday, earlier in the year, I think he made 29 points up in Rossi in four races. If he does that again, he'll be leading the championship at Valencia. Yeah, um, I mean, you you look at you look at the races which are coming, and Aragon you would you would probably give to uh, uh, to Lorenzo. Metegi, definitely, you'd have Metegi to say. Metegi, you give to Lorenzo. Yeah. Philip Island, they're both strong. I mean, um, ten years ago it was Valentino owned the place, mm. but recently, yeah. uh, uh, you know, after Casey Stoner sort of. Uh, vacated the throne it was uh, it was Jorge Lorenzo who was uh, it was fast around there so yeah Philip Island is going to be it's going to be a tough one yeah Sepang too you would have to mention as well yeah yeah Sepang Sepang could be very very entertaining yeah so and then it, then it comes down to Valencia and at Valencia Rossi's record is um, shocking really uh, he hasn't uh, he hasn't done very well there at all ever the most of the, my memories of, of of Rossi at Valencia have been of him falling off somehow yeah uh, which is strange because I mean it, it just I think he has won there in the past but it's been a mm. long long time yeah back in his uh, you know back 2003 and then 2004 I think he won the yeah, Yamaha yeah, as well yeah, yeah. but yeah that, that was a long time ago obviously yeah yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to take some questions now I'm going to um, pass these on to uh, our experts David and Neil these are coming from Twitter of course these are coming from and who Twitter. do we tweet to uh... if you would like to send some questions uh, it is at paddock pass pod very good and the first question is from uh, James Moore 22 and he asks any thoughts on ship to shore messages via the dashboard readout for team instructions I uh, well yes 
there is a there are the, the, that is already possible the uh, race direction already can send messages to uh, or they can switch lights on and off of, of dashboards uh, when uh, for a yellow flag oh, well no not for a yellow flag yet but for red flags and for black flags so uh, when a rider is black flagged it actually it, it comes up on the on the dash and they uh, and they and they come in um i think it would be very difficult having uh certainly sort of text messages on your dashboard the dashboard is already a very very busy place there's a lot of information on there and it's the kind of thing that is going to get um i think missed yeah absolutely yeah yeah and you know uh, as we're kind of purists we one of the things that's so great about motorcycle racing is that obviously it's a team sport but when you're on the track, okay, you get your pit signals and things like that. But when you're on the track, you want your rider to be to be using his own judgment um, to, to, to to kind of make the big calls. Um, so yeah, I think it's um, we, we should keep things as they are. Yeah, I mean, I had a massive argument with Dennis Noyes afterwards about because he's uh, he would love because he's a TV guy. He really wants to have uh, um, radio communication, and I think we'd all love to hear what the riders are saying in their helmets. But I just don't want the teams telling uh, telling the riders what to do because you you let the riders actually get on with the job of riding and make their own mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And as we saw from the results yesterday, okay, there were you know there's some uh, wild cards in there things are a bit crazy but when you look at uh, at the top three guys uh, the top three guys were uh, the, the top three guys in the championship were the you know they kind of finished because of the merit because of their their thinking exactly they made the right choice the right design at the right time next question okay next question is from and i'm going to apologize in advance if i mispronounce his name the adrian verert Adrian Verveert, Verveert, I think. There you go. Yeah, thank I you, suspect da- he's Belgian. Thank you, David. Uh, and he asked, uh, there's a lot of debating about tyres this year. Advantages for this or that rider. Next year, level playing field or not? Uh, tyres are never a level playing field um, because one rider wants a particular feel from a tyre and another rider doesn't. It, each rider has a particular style. It works with a particular style. Um uh, I think uh, well, you you see it this year with the with the with the controversy, which is totally manufactured about whether uh, about the edge treatment on the um, uh, uh, on the tire, but um, uh, on the edge of the bridge stones. But you know, Lorenzo has won with and without the the edge treatment. Rossi has won with and without the the edge treatment. Yeah, Lorenzo won by eight seconds in Mugello without the edge treatment. Uh, you know exactly. So, uh, yeah. There, there are definitely some riders which are really looking forward to it. I mean, Paul Aspargaro, you can't get him to shut up, even though he's contractually obliged to shut up. Um, uh, he, he's really looking forward to the feel of the uh, of the Michelin rear. But the thing is, basically, riders are just going to have to adapt. And uh, if anything, it favours slightly younger riders, slightly newer riders, and uh, riders who are good at adapting to bikes rather than uh, the other way around, wanting a bike adapted to suit them. Okay, and uh, the final question for, for this week uh, it comes from uh, B-Blade, and he asks, we are seeing more winglets on MotoGB bikes. Any governing regs on them? Uh, there are governing regs. The regs say, I spoke to Danny Aldrich about this after Yamaha's uh, winglets appear. Uh, he says, basically, the winglets may not protrude beyond the widest part of the bodywork. And uh, the widest part of the bodywork may not be wider than 600 millimeters or 60 centimeters. So basically, if your fairing is 60 centimeters wide, then you can have fairings 
well, 59.9 centimetres wide. If your fairing is 40 centimetres wide, which would be a little bit um, emaciated, then your winglets would only be 39.9 centimetres. Um, uh, there are, they do check them for safety. Uh, they have to break off cleanly and they can't f uh, form a danger. So, for example, if uh, somebody's winglet broke off and there was still something sharp protruding from it or if race direction feared there was something sharp protruding from it, uh, then that rider would be black flagged. The same with um, exhausts, uh, you know, any other any other damage which which might happen in a crash if a rider gets back on track and and there's something sharp, pointy, and nasty uh, sticking out. Okay, right. Well, that's uh, that's it. Thank you all for listening from uh, Neil, Tony, and me. And uh, until the next paddock pass podcast which will either be before or after aragon depending on our schedules thanks very much thanks thank you top work chaps very good bish bash boss. Like <laughs> <laughs>